You're listening to the Flow Theory Podcast. Talk to me about being a, a grad assistant, Marcus. I know grad assistants, I mean, the, the hours those guys have to work. It's, it's pretty insane because you have all that schoolwork that you have to do. And not only that, you've got all that schoolwork you have to do. Not only that, all the different coaching duties you have to do. And then the fact that you're getting paid literally nothing. I mean, you're probably getting like, I don't know, like 400 bucks a week. If that man, like the GAs, like I was yeah, around them at Ohio. Like, we, we definitely weren't getting 400 bucks a week. It was, it was brutal. Um, you know, a typical day, you know, I'm leaving the house at 5 AM. Um, and I'm getting home at in between 10 and 11 at night, you know, and that's at least three to four days out of the week. Um, you know, we're breaking down the practice film. We're preparing for the next game. Um, it was definitely, it was a lot, you know, especially taking a few years off from school, jumping back in and going back to school and taking that amount of school. Um, it was a lot to deal with, uh, with the amount of hours that you're asked to do on the football field. But, you know, it definitely made me fall in love with coaching football. And it kind of gave me a vision on what I wanted to do and and how I wanted to be able to teach kids a lot of what I know and and teach them through experiences I've had throughout the years and, and being able to give back this recycled knowledge in a positive way. And it definitely um, inspired me to want to do that for the rest of my life. Yeah. Talk to me about your linebacker school a little bit, Marcus. So you're not, so you're not coaching at any uh, college right now. You're just, you got your own, you got your own linebacker school. And then you also have like the CBD and then a number of other businesses that uh, you're working with. Yeah. Well, you got to stay active, you know, and once I, once I was done with football, you know, I, you know, I had to ask myself, like everybody has to ask themselves at some point in their life, what do I like to do? What do I want to do? What will make me happy? And um, I definitely wanted to coach college football at one point in my life, and I still will at another point. But um, coaching college football is not is not the greatest decision to make if you want to raise if you want to start a family and uh, get some kind of continuity. You know, I know a lot of times in the coaching profession, you're asked to move all over the country. And I didn't want to do that um, just yet to get my family going. And so I wanted to think of a way that I can bring a a college coaching mentality uh, and personalize it for individuals who, you know, want to get to college or even just want to get on the field, you know, and being able to, you know, one thing I learned when I stopped coaching at SMU and I moved back home to Sacramento, I did take a, a defensive coordinator varsity job at Pleasant Grove High School. And one thing I learned off, you know, right off the top was I didn't have enough time with my athletes. And, you know, you have to focus on so many guys that I'm like, man, I can't get the linebackers to play how I'd really want them to play because we don't have enough individual time. There's not enough time in practice to do what we're doing. And so, or do what we want to do. And so, that kind of gave me the idea of, you know, being that liaison for the coach that doesn't have enough time, how these kids can invest when they leave you, you know, and learning how to watch film, learning what they're doing wrong, 
you know, learning how to watch themselves, learning how to prepare for an opponent, you know, all these different things that I started going over with these kids and I realized they all need it, you know, and film is one thing that really got me, I think is a difference maker that made me um, progress when I got to college. And so it's one thing that I want to instill in these younger athletes and let them know, like, if you can get the, the sooner you get this down, the better off you'll be and the better you'll look, you know, because all the, all the schools have access to huddle now. And so whatever you put on film, that's your resume. And so the earlier you can learn a lot of these fundamentals, the better, because once they look at your film, whatever you've done already, it speaks for itself. Yeah, I agree, Marcus. Um, talk to me about the the CBD business that you're involved in. I know I, I ordered some for my parents because, uh, you know, my mom and dad use that kind of stuff for uh, some of their aches and pains. I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated to hear more about just the CBD business in general and just how it was able to bypass like a lot of regulations and everything. And uh, just interested to hear like how you got involved in uh, CBD because it, it really is a fascinating product to me. Like, uh, no, it's, it's super fascinating. And, you know, I, I thought I had knowledge about it until I started researching it and realized I knew nothing. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy, but you know, how I got involved was my grandma was sick. And so with my grandma being sick, having cancer, she was diagnosed a lot of pills and different pain medicines and whatnot from the doctor that she hated taking. Right. And so she's looking for alternative different ways. And then I start, she asked me to start trying to find different ways and things she can take. And I ran across CBD. Now I had taken CBD a few times before, but I never, I didn't really feel anything. I didn't know what it was supposed to do. You know, I was familiar with THC. So I'm like, you know, what is CBD? What is, you know, I don't feel anything, you know, what is it doing? And so upon, you know, my research, I found out that uh, we all have an endocannabinoid system, right? Now, once I learned that and what it is and what it does, I realized that we all need CBD. We just don't really know it yet. And once I learned that, you know, I had to, I had to become a part of the, the um, business in some way, shape or form, because pretty soon, you know, once people do find out how important it is, you know, you're already seeing it pop up everywhere, but everybody's going to want a piece of the pie because Literally, we all need it. And I know a lot of people like yourself, their parents take it and their parents are starting to use it. Yeah. Um, but people of all ages, I actually give it to my kids. And that's how that's how much I believe in it and what, you know, and what it does. But it basically, you know, it helps with your immune systems and your cells and your motor activity, your coordination, pain perception, short term memory, thinking all of these different things, you, your body has receptors, you know, CB1 and CB2, different receptors that, you know, are connected to your gut and your immune system and your liver and your kidneys and all of these things. And CBD is like the key that unlocks a lot of your systems in your body to be able to flow together. And so, you know, CBD 
you know, I tell people it's almost like giving your body a deep breath. You know, it's like your body kind of resetting itself and, uh, and it helps you in whatever way you're lacking. Right. So your parents might have aches and pains. Some of my other friends that had that take it, they might have trouble sleeping. And so it kind of fills in the blanks on wherever you need it. And so, you know, once I got turned on by it, I was kind of like, you know, I need to get a piece of the pie some way, some shape. And, you know, I've been changing lives with it and I'm super excited about it. And it's growing, definitely growing business. And, you know, I haven't had a disappointed customer yet. And so that's definitely exciting. And, uh, and I think as more and more people find out about it, you know, more and more people will be taking it. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely a fascinating, uh, product, Marcus. Talk to me about CBD beverages. I, you know, I never even knew there were CBD beverages until, you know, Joe Rogan, he's a big, he sells a number of different things off of his podcast, but he has Mm -hmm. uh, the CBD infused beverages in his uh, fridge at his podcast. Um, talk to me about CBD beverages and, and what your thoughts are on those. Cause quite honestly, I'm kind of curious, dude, like I might try a couple just to see what it tastes like. I don't know if you get like a contact buzz from it or what, but no, well, that's the thing, you know, and that's the difference. You don't get a buzz from CBD, right? right. And so the difference between THC and CBD is the psychoactive portion of it, right? There is healing properties in THC. Um, but not as many as CBD. Right. And so um, I think, you know, all CBD, it works the same, although a lot of CBDs are oil based CBD oil. Uh Um, One thing about CBD oil is that our bodies are not oil based. And so there's only so much oil that your body can absorb. Right. And so I don't know much about Joe Rogan's C, uh, CBD um, beverage beverages, <laughs> per se, but like the CBD that I'm familiar with or my product that I sell, you know, it's the only CBD fluid that is not an oil on okay. the market. And so you can put it in any beverage, huh. right? Um, any cold beverage and it'll blend right in. The reason why you don't put it in a hot beverage is because you cook out a lot of the enzyme, the good parts of the medicine, just like you would um, cooking healthy foods. You know, you cook out the enzymes. So heating it up sometimes could ruin it. But um, the CBD I had can go into any beverage and you won't even taste it. Oh, that's that's really interesting, Marcus, because I've seen I, I wanted to try these CBD beverages just to see what they tasted like. Cause I'm just curious. No, and here's the thing you cannot OD on CBD. Right. And so a lot of times people get confused because they just don't know. And they're like, Oh, well, should I, you know, should I do the beverage? Should I do this? If you have one beverage, you know, it'll probably make you, you know, sleep good that night or it might, you know, depending on what you're lacking, you know, you definitely might feel it in some way. Um, but I think CBD is best when taking it consistently uh-huh. and you have that like a daily, you know, a daily routine. Cause after about a week, then you really start to feel its full effect. And then you'll feel the full difference when you don't take it and understand how much better it was improving your life 
I'm curious, Marcus, talk to me about like the start of CBD, because I, I really felt like it just kind of came out of nowhere. Like all of a no, sudden, CBD just magically appeared on the shelves, dude. I was yeah, like, man, how did this right. bypass all the regulations? <laughs> you're right, man. Well, you know, I think what it is, people are really starting to find out that holistic healing is genuine, is really the way to go. Right. And, and, and you know, the ancient ancient Chinese, the medicines that have been around for thousands of years um, are really better for our body, right? I feel like God kind of put it all out here for us. And then we went ahead and decided to, we needed harder drugs and we needed all this man-made stuff um, that all have side effects. And um, I think, you know, it's only been about 25 years I think sometime in the 90s is when they found out that our bodies all have an endocannabinoid system. So it's fairly new research right. that we're learning about. But I think at the time, they couldn't come out and tell everybody that weed and there's properties in weed that are actually good for your body because they had just you know finished the war on drugs. And so if we're doing a war on drugs and we're promoting just say no, how do we strategically come out and say, well, you know what? There's actually some drugs that we've put people away for a lot of years in jail and in prison. And some of these drugs are actually good for you. And yeah. so yeah. I think it took 20, 30 years to come out um, because they didn't know how to explain it or how to you know, explain that these drugs are actually beneficial. You know, I think it was in the, early 1900s, 1920s or so when uh, Rockefeller and different guys had got behind the government and got behind um, Big Pharma and they pushed out all the holistic doctors and all the holistic healings and all of the natural healings and wanted to prescribe you whatever they were prescribing to make more money and suppress these issues that you have so you have to keep coming back and getting more medicine. Right. You know? And a lot of times some people don't like CBD because it's not FDA approved. But, you know, a lot of the stuff that's FDA approved are killing people. You know, and the thing is, they're still doing research. They're still doing research on CBD and they're finding out more positives about it. But to this day, they haven't found any bad side effects. You know, so there's no side effects with CBD. You can't oh, overdose. I can drink my whole, you know, tincture bottle and my body is just going to waste out what's not used. And you can't say that for most FDA approved drugs. Yeah, you know, you're, you're right. You drink Marcus. the whole bottle and you might not be making it to tomorrow, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And so I think the reason why, you know, the first lady who was able to, um, I think her daughter, you know, they were able to, um, treat her, um, what did she have? Seizures. I think they were able to treat her seizures and different things of that nature. I think after that, um, it kind of hit the floodgates and, you know, and they more and more start, people start doing research and more and more companies start popping up here and there and everywhere. And, uh, and it just took off, you know, and, and I think, when people found out that they're not getting high and it's actually helping people, then it's kind of like, it's a win-win, you know? And so I, I enjoy it. It helps me out. 
It keeps my anxiety down. It helps me with my aches and pains. It helps me sleep. And I can definitely tell when I'm not taking it, I'm waking up in the middle of the night and, and different things of that nature. So, you know, I enjoy it. And like I said, our bodies are all, our bodies are, are wanting CBD. Um, it's just the amount of like, if we're going to give it to it and there's different, there's different foods as well, like dark chocolate and blueberries and, and other superfoods that have CBD in them. Hmm. Um, I never knew that. that. We, didn't even, we didn't even realize it. Um, the best way to get CBD though, is just by natural, you know, CBD, which, which stems from the hemp plant. Right. Um, you know, an interesting thing, Marcus, you know, talking about all the aches and pains for guys, guys in the NFL, you know, like there's a lot of guys like Calvin Johnson admitted to playing while taking, taking Vicodin, you know, and, and I think that more and more players in the NFL, you know, are going to come out and say they were smoking weed before every game. You know, Percy Harvin said that because he was able to help uh, his anxiety, you know, Colt Brennan came on my podcast. He, he said that he smoked before every game. Um, you know, there's gotta be more players. Uh, did you know a lot of players that smoke before games? Um, I did know a lot of players that smoke before game, you know, not, I didn't know who was smoking before games to be honest with you, because it just wasn't, that wasn't what I was doing. Um, because I, you know, I have a, I think it can help some guys. Um, but at the same time, I think it can hurt as well. You know, I know from my experience with weed, if I was smoking before games, I would definitely have been a worse player. <laughs> um, I think, I think uh, you know, and I think weed affects certain people differently, but at the same time, even the guys that are smoking weed before every game, I think if they had something like CBD that, you know, their body was really wanting, Right. And they got it through weed because that was all we knew, right? That was all they knew. I think if they were able to get some of those attributes from the plant, which come in the CBD form without getting high, I think it would have benefited them even more. Um, because when you're smoking like that, it definitely does something to your lungs. You know, you're not, you know, you're not in as good a shape. And I think that's a misconception that, even though a lot of people are trying to make it to where they're not doing the testing and whatnot, you know, uh, weed does not make you a better athlete. It can definitely help with some anxiety and some different things, but I think weed definitely affects you negatively as an athlete. Yeah. You know, I, I think guys like Percy Harvin, who are world-class athletes and, you know, Cole Brennan, who the gunslinger he is, you know, um, it might put them in a calm mood and they can still do what they need to do. But at the same time, maybe they would have played longer without weed. You know, maybe they, you know, that just that extra little advantage they need needed to stick around more or whatever the case it was. But um, I don't think I don't think weed helps you as an athlete at all. Yeah, I think it's different for everyone. I think Cole Brennan described sure. it pretty well when he came to my podcast. He said how. It's kind of a fine line for a lot of guys, you know, everyone's different sure. and everyone kind of knows what works for them. But I, I think it worked for Percy. It worked for Colt. But 
you know, uh, not necessarily going to work for everyone, like you said. And I, I think it is interesting how you're talking about CBD. Uh, what it is, Ricky Williams have any sort of uh, CBD business? I know he's he's big. No, I wouldn't. Know. Uh, you know, I wouldn't doubt it at all. I don't know what he's doing, but I know that a lot of guys went farm. I know he lived up Northern California for a while, close to me. Um, Grass Valley, I, I believe he was at. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was. That's right. I think a lot of guys with farms are connected to farms that are growing marijuana. They're also growing um, hemp farms as well. And they're starting to tap, tap into that because there's a pretty large future in it. And I think, you know, before we know it, you know, CBD is going to be looked at like aspirin. I think you'll be able to find CBD in every home in America like an aspirin. Right. Because it's, it's more healthy than that. You know, and I told somebody that the other day and they're like, what? No, you know, how, how can that be? Yeah. Right? Pills, like, well, pills aren't good for you. Yeah, exactly. And I said, well, how is it that aspirin is in every home? You know, they thought it was crazy when they said that it would be a computer in every home. And so I think, you know, the more we find out about CBD and realize how much our body needs it and how it puts our body in sync. Um, it's only a matter of time. Yeah, I think you're right, Marcus. Uh, it's, it's definitely interesting. I'm so why do you think, uh, CBD is so expensive right now, Marcus, just because it's, it's not that easy to produce. Um, I think it's not that easy to produce, but then at the same time, you know, you get what you pay for, like in everything, you know, I think that, um, there are some super affordable CBDs that are out there, but then how much, CBD is your body actually getting, you know? And so, um, I think, I think it's expensive because it depends on, you know, the process to be to be honest. I think there's the different processes cost different amount of money. And so however much it costs to process it and bottle it. And based on the quality, I think you get your price, you know, the, the bottle, that I sell, you know, retails for one Oh nine. And, uh, there's over a hundred drops in there and two drops is a full dose. And so you have about 50 uses or so, um, for a hundred bucks, 109 bucks. And so I think you definitely get your money's worth using it for over a month. And, um, and you definitely get your money's worth. Right. Uh, one thing I like talking to all the guys about, Marcus, that have come on podcasts, mm-hmm. at least most of them, want to ask you about what are your thoughts on college athletes getting paid? I mean, I'm in full support of college athletes getting paid. I feel like you guys put so many hours into the craft week in, week out. To me, I think it's kind of ridiculous how much the coaches, the disparity between the amount that the coaches make and the fact that the players, sure, you get a free scholarship. I get that. It's an education, but a lot of times the education ain't going to do much for you. No, it's definitely, um, you know, it's definitely a disparity between the difference and what everybody's making. I think for sure college athletes should get paid. I don't know what it, what that looks like. Um, but there definitely should be a way that they get paid. And also, you know, there should be a way that they can use their likeness. And, and find out more ways to get paid because, you know, in the society, in the day and age we're in right now, you know, all these guys aren't going to the NFL and 
And the way that a college degree is looked at now is almost like a diploma. Everybody has one. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't doesn't super separate you from anybody else by having a degree. I have two degrees. And when I was done coaching, I came back to Sacramento and couldn't get a job. Right. You know, and it was really tough for me. I'm like, man, I have two degrees. And it was I felt like it was either one job felt like I was too qualified or another job felt as though I didn't have enough experience, Mm. you know? And I'm like, well, I've been playing football. So that's where my experience lies. Um, But at the same time, um, man, if I could have made some money while I was at Fresno state, I would have been off to a better start. You know, even if I wasn't making a lot, I mean, if I leave college with $5,000 in the bank or $10,000 in the bank or, $30,000 in the bank, I'm definitely starting my life off, you know, on a better foot. And, you know, and that would be money that I earned, you know, being on a video game and being on a video game and, and, um, however many tickets being sold or, you know, there's different ways. I mean, I remember we made a rap song when I was in college. I saw that. I I saw that on YouTube. I was going to ask you about that. Me and a teammate of mine, and we wanted to release it as a single. And compliance said that we couldn't do that because people would buy it just because we played football for Fresno State. And I'm like, so what? You know, but that was that's part of the rules. It's either like all or nothing. And so I thought that would be I'm like, man, this is something that we created. And I'm like, well, what if I what if I bake the apple pie? Can I walk around and sell those? And they're like, well, you couldn't put your jersey on to sell them. <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm like, you know, I just felt like it was just the weirdest thing. It's like, why, are, why as an athlete, we can't make any money doing anything? Yeah, that's so work. stupid, dude. They got to, yeah. thank goodness they're finally changing some of those rules. Jesus. Well, they have to, you know, and, and I think, you know, I understand the thought process. They won't be able to control it once they, once they, once they open up those floodgates, oh, yeah. they really won't be able to tr- control it. It's going to be like the Wild West, Marcus. No, it's definitely going to be like the Wild West, but at the same time, that's life. Yeah, you know, I agree. It's capitalism, you know? Like, you know? It's capitalism. Yeah. It's like, yo, like, how can I make the most while I, you know, now you have certain guys that might stack 100000 while they're in school. And, you know, how do you, what do you think that's going to do for the trajectory of their family? You know what I mean? Being able to leave college especially if you get hurt or anything happens and you know, you get hurt your first year in the NFL, you know, that's, uh, you know, a lot more eyes are on these guys when they're in school, you know? And so I think now more than ever, you know, you yourself, you're a brand and, you know, why not being able to capitalize off your own brand? Yeah, I, I agree, man. I mean, I just think of like, you know, like guys would be able to like have, just stacks of photos and signing like their autographs on photos. Like, I mean, the trading card companies and all that, man. I mean, I th- that's really going to open up a ton, you know, you know, the amount of extra spending money that those guys will be able to generate, you know, with, you know, just signing like a couple photos, you know, maybe, maybe it's like 30 bucks, you know, or 40 bucks for every photo you sell off of eBay or something with some trading card company, you know, autographs or something. You know, if I sell these autographs for 10 bucks a piece and that doesn't mean I don't give, you know, give autographs to kids at the game still, but you know, if these adults and different fans and boosters want to buy something that also is helping me feed 
myself and helping me, you know, take care of the things that I need. Like, I don't, I don't see any problem in that. Yeah, I agree, dude. I I think the NCAA's rules are archaic. And I think that anyone who's, you know, a reasonable and logical person understands that. I mean, the NCAA just the way they move on cases and stuff, they move at like a glacial pace, you know, like it's just insane. And like the way they banned Reggie Bush, like he had to disassociate from USC for 10 years. Like that was so stupid. It's like, you know, Wally Lundy said like, you know, he's like, Reggie knew what the rules were, you know, you broke the rules, like you got to pay the price. But same time, like disassociating Reggie Bush for like 10 years. It's like so stupid, man. Like, Everyone knows that Reggie Bush went to USC. You know what I mean? And and then not only that, making Reggie voluntarily give up his Heisman. God, that was some bullshit, dude. Definitely was some bull. And, um, you know, I just, you know, we all know, we all know what's going on. And I think it's easy. It's, it's a lot rougher in the, uh, in the basketball world. I think those guys are getting money left and right. You know, and it's easier to hide because of these big deals and um, there's so many guys that are connected to these players through the AAU teams and whatnot. Yeah, that's a a good point, Marcus. What do you think about with the with the um, with the endorsements and how they're going to be able to control the agent selection process? Say that again. What do you what do you think about like the endorsements and like, you know, how hard it's going to be to like control the agent selection process for some of these prospects? Because, I mean, think about it. They're going to have agents like starting to recruit them when they're in middle school or like, you know, if you're like a top five guy, you know, like Amani Bates, I'm sure people have been, you know, messaging that kid on social media for like several years, you know. Yeah, you know, I think um, I think it it definitely, um, like you said, I think the same way with CBD is going to be the wild wild west. You know, my old agent, my old agent, he uh, he reached out to me. I think it's gonna it's gonna end up being similar to AAU and basketball because guys like myself who train kids throughout the city, and I'm connected to these different athletes and different training programs. You know, now I got agents calling me and saying, hey, do you have any guys or keep me in mind if this thing takes off? You know what I mean? I might want to work or partner with you and whoever's in Sacramento that got guys. And so it's already starting, you know, to trickle down. And I think it'll, you know, just like the AAU coaches, now it'll shift to the seven on seven coaches and whoever has the most ties with these guys. Yeah. Um, who are some of your favorite football players of all time, Marcus to watch? Um, favorite football players of all time. Um, Marcus Allen for sure. Bo Jackson. I was named after Marcus Allen. And then he was traded. He was traded to the chiefs when I was in, uh, fifth grade. And so I became a chiefs fan. Um, Dante, Dante Hall, Larry Johnson, um, Derek Thomas, you know, Derek, um, Derek Johnson. Don't you have uh, a, I, I saw on your Instagram, don't you have a Derek uh, Thomas authentic uh, Pro Bowl jersey? I definitely do. Dude, that's a sick jersey. Do. And then also, you know, Lance Briggs, he's a 
he's a good friend of mine and a big homie, but you know, he's somebody I watched since I was in seventh grade and really try to model my game after. And it was fortunate that I got a chance to be kind of close to him and, and watch his whole career and how great he ended up being and, and uh, be there to witness it as well when I was with the bears. Yeah. Lance Briggs, he was ridiculous. I mean, how many years was he all pro for several years, right? I think he had five or six. I think he had five or six All Pro years. So he's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame. I'd say he's pretty much going to punch his you ticket, know, don't you? He should. He definitely should. You know, I think what sucked. You know, what sucked for him, like I was saying earlier about the traditional linebacker, um, right around the three four. I think he had three All Pros in a row or something like that. I think he might have three All Pros, but seven Pro Bowls. Um, but you know, linebackers like Demarcus Ware, um, started to get all pro first team. And so a lot of the voters, they started looking at sacks for outside linebackers. Right. And so if you didn't have a lot of sacks, you weren't really high on the list for outside linebackers, but traditional outside linebackers aren't getting a lot of sacks because they're not rushing the, the edge like that. You know what I mean? And so... Um, I think they, I thought they should have did something um, traditionally, you know, just in the voting because it just becomes a, you know, you're playing two different positions. So it's hard to compare those type of stats. Yeah. That, that makes sense. It's definitely but, a good point, Marcus. Mm-hmm. What about um, video games? Like talk to me about um, you guys, when you're in Fresno, do you guys love playing NCAA football? Oh yeah, we definitely played. I actually still have my, I, you know, I, I don't have my same copy, but I bought a copy um, in hopes that the new PS5 plays old games. <laughs> but I have a, I have a copy of NCAA 05, which I was on. And um, I was an impact player that year. So I definitely made sure I kept, I got one of those copies to hold on to. Um, but I was, you know, I was a big video game guy, but it's been tough with a fiance and kids now, you know, I have to play my games and everybody go to sleep and (laughs) even still, you know, my fiance is complaining about it. So I try to, you know, I get in a little call of duty when I can and, you know, I'm more of an NBA 2K guy. I can't play Madden. I just, I feel like I deal with too much football in a day to day. Right. That video games is kind of my way to get away. And that, that makes sense. If I'm playing Madden, see, you know, the games are so um, real now. Right. That, you know, I'm frustrated and I know so much about football. I'll be frustrated that I can't do what I know how to do, <laughs> you know, and I don't have time. I'm like, Yo, I don't have time to put the effort in to learn all the audibles and everything I need to do. So. I enjoy kind of, I enjoy playing basketball in that sense of it was something that I never did at a high level. And so it kind of takes me away. Did you end up getting paid from the, uh, the NCAA, the video game lawsuit? Cause I talked to some other players and they got, they got their checks. Yeah. Um, no, I never got, I never got paid through the NCAA lawsuit because I didn't want to join in because if for ever any reason that I wanted to get money from the NCAA on my own, I wouldn't have been able to. Oh, so you, so by getting the NCAA video game money, you've surrendered any sort of uh, other type Anything of else. 
Yes. Litigation. Wow. I had no idea about that, man. That's a caveat that I bet a lot of guys that got that money had no idea about. Wow. I bet they didn't. Jesus, Marcus, that is fascinating information. Wow. Mm-hmm. Man, I had no idea about that. Did you know about yeah. the? Did you know about the lawsuit? Uh, there's a guy by the name of Jeffrey Kessler. I don't know if you heard of him, but Jeffrey Kessler is a guy that makes the NFL and the NCAA cringe because he's essentially the biggest. You want to talk about the Michael Jordan of sports law? Jeffrey Kessler is it, dude. Jeffrey Kessler took a case, and I don't know if this case is still active or not, but he took a case to the NCAA saying that a a scholarship is a form of price fixing. And by that, you know, since like the the value of scholarship is like a fixed number, he said it was was a form of price fixing and that's what made it illegal. So that case was fascinating to me. And I'm not sure how that case ended up, but I knew once I saw Jeffrey Kessler's name, I knew that the NCA was going to be terrified. Oh yeah, for sure. I don't know much about Kessler, but, um, the NCAA should be terrified. You know, I think more and more people are finding out now just how corrupt an organization is. You know, how can you make billions and and fight so hard to not give the people who are making you billions any kind of power or any kind of decision making? You know, and I think people are finally seeing the NCAA for what it really is. Yeah, I agree completely, Marcus. Like uh, to me, uh, it's something that I I get to talk to a lot of guys to come on the podcast about and just happy to be able to talk to all the players about it because I think it's pretty unanimous across the board that, you know, the players definitely deserve to get some sort of compensation for all the work that you guys put into the game. You know what I mean? And not only that, I mean, you know, especially the fact that like you think of all the different ways that athletes can make money, you know what I mean? I think that's um, with the endorsements. I think that's all going to change. I think they're going to need to regulate it properly. That's going to get complicated, but um, you know, uh, I, it's definitely a good step for the NCA, even though, I mean, God, they just, the NCA moves so slow, man. It's like, it took them this long to do that. Like it's crazy. Yeah, definitely crazy. Um, what are your thoughts on the Redskins changing changing their name, Marcus? Um, you know what I think I think it's about time. You know, I think, you know, people people are really putting this on Black Lives Matter and everything that's going on right now. And I think it's becoming political for some reason, but people have been saying they've had a problem with that name for 20 plus years for as long as I can remember. Um, my cousin had played on the Rams, on the Redskins, and I know there's a lot of history behind it. You know, even even from the Redskins being the last team to integrate black players, um, you know, I think there's a lot there's a lot more history behind it. And I think the fact that it's an actual racial slur for a group of people, I think it should have been done. And I'm glad that they're finally making a change. And you know. I don't see the reason for holding on to a team name. You know, these are, you know, they're made up names anyway. Like there's, there's no, um, somebody at some point decided, Hey, let's name this team that, I mean, when you look at the old leagues and how they started, everybody had different names, you know? And I don't think when they changed their names, there were, you know, and I could be wrong when the, I don't think when these teams changed their names, it were, they were big uproars, you know? 
Um, you know, you look at the expansion teams and different teams of that nature. You know, I just think I feel like the name should have been done. I'm glad they're doing it. And um, I just hope some real change kind of comes about from it. It just it sucks that, you know, just from a team changing their name that they have to deal with so much backlash and now it's dividing people and, you know, it's becoming political when it's like, yeah, this has nothing to do with politics. It's like, what's, what's right and what's wrong, you know? Yeah. It's tough, man. I mean, it's tough because, you know, you change the name of the Washington bullets and you, you get in some really tough spots, you know, when you start changing, you know, saying, I don't know. Once you start to sterilize language, it can be it can be really tough. You know, you get yourself into some really weird situations. But I mean, it it can definitely be a slippery slope. You know, I'll tell you that it definitely can be a slippery slope. But, you know, I believe that's life. You know, a 100 years ago, the things that were normal aren't normal anymore. You know, and I think everything evolves and everything changes, you know, they what they, how they used to talk to people um, when the Redskins name was made. You know, I'm not sure what year that is. Do you know what year the Redskins were created? Uh, not sure, Marcus. I, I'd have to look that up. I, I know. Um, so the year the Redskins were created, you know, if you just 1932, you know, in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, right? So in 1932, if you think about the state of America and what was going on, um, especially in the 1800s, you have all the Indians that have, have been slaughtered and different things of that nature. It's kind of like, you know, things need to progress. You know, this, we're talking about a hundred years ago, you know? So of course it wasn't, it wasn't a problem a hundred years ago, but now looking back at it, I'm sure there's a lot of things in the language that was going on in 1932 that wouldn't be cool to this day. Right. Um, trying to think of what else, Marcus, um, what about who were some of your teammates that you, uh, keep in touch with the most from Fresno state? Um, so my teammates, I keep in touch with the most Clifton Smith, um, is one of my best friends from Fresno. You know, you mentioning Clifton Smith, actually, I wanted to talk about your ACL, your ACL repair. Cause that's a, that's a fascinating mm-hmm. surgery that, um, you know, I've actually looked up videos of that on YouTube. That might gotta sound weird, but yeah, what, I don't what, want to see those. What they do, uh, Doctor James Andrews is fellows. They take they take a piece of the hamstring. It's like a piece of bacon, and then they use that in the uh, repair process. I was it's pretty fascinated by that. Um, were you pretty happy with your? You know, when you when you tore your ACL, were you pretty happy with the surgery and everything, and all the recovery and everything? Um, yeah, I was happy with the surgery. I thought the surgery looked good. I mean, I woke up in the worst pain I've ever been in. Felt like they were still cutting on my knee. Um, but you know, the, the, the only bad part about my recovery, uh, you know, I tore my ACL and my meniscus and I retore my meniscus, um, two weeks before the, before camp the following year. And so that that's what really delayed my whole process and kept me injured going into that season. Yeah. Tore meniscus. Tore meniscus. I can. I actually tore my meniscus. I actually tore my meniscus at the club. What do you mean at the club? 
at the at a, at a dance club. So like I tore my I tore my ACL, my meniscus against USC. Um, and then during my recovery process, you know, during the summer where I, earlier that day, I had ran stairs for the first time. And so my knee was getting stronger. I was training. I, you know, I was already six months in on my rehab uh, plus actually maybe eight months. And so uh, my ACL was good. It was my meniscus that was still weak. And, um, and I went out that night after I did stairs and the muscles around were just not ready. They were not prepared to do any kind of dancing. <laughs> and uh, I twisted the wrong way and felt the pop. I was just instantly, you know, shook up and found out I retore my meniscus. Uh, and so that kind of blew my whole junior season. Jeez, dude. Because, you know, ACL recoveries, like, I remember, uh, God, what did Adrian Peterson, he recovered from his in, like, what, like, six to eight months? It was something, like, superhuman. Like, <laughs> Adrian Peterson is, like... No, I think normally, normally it takes six to eight months. He came back in, like, five. Yeah, he, he definitely had, like, a shortened recovery. Like, after that, I mean, it was... We already knew Adrian Peterson was Superman. After that, I was like, God... This guy is just like made as some like crazy DNA, man. Like he is something out of Mars. Like, God. Yeah, he is. And, you know, how about Frank Gore? Like he tearing his ACL. He tore both ACLs and he's still in the NFL. Like, God, it's like one guy said, like, Frank Gore is like a vampire. He's just that guy is just going to last forever. Yeah, forever. He's definitely still playing, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's still playing yeah, at man. a high level too, man. It's crazy. You know, more power to him, you know, I've always mm-hmm. liked Frank Gore, man. He's, he's a class act. He, he goes out and you know, he just, he loves to work. He loves the game and just, he loves playing football, you know, like he never causes any problems. I mean, that guy, he's just, what an, an, an incredible athlete and uh, a great ambassador for the game. I, I think that, his yardage totals are a bit misleading because he's he's played so long. But make no, no mistake about it. I mean, Frank Gore will be a worthy uh, worthy Hall of Fame member once he gets inducted. And I think it's pretty much a lock at this point that Frank Gore is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, for sure. He needs that. All right, Marcus. Well, you know, um, you got anything else you want to say? Final words, final thoughts? No, man. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. I don't think I, you know, I told you this, but my, I know you see my, uh, my autograph that I sent, but my middle name is actually Wade. <laughs> That's and hilarious, so I man. I, I put the W on there. That's funny. Um, your, your middle, yeah. middle name is Wade. That's hilarious, man. It is funny, but, uh, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I enjoyed, I enjoyed talking and, uh, Look forward to uh, talking to you soon. And then also thank you for the, the artwork. Yeah. Thanks a lot, man. You know, Jeremy, our graphics guy does uh, great work, dude. He, he does some stuff for like the NFL Instagram people, man. I've seen him do stuff for like, like he was doing stuff for like the chargers on like hard knocks and stuff. I was like, man, like Jeremy, he's, he's doing big things, man. I think he's like a rising. I think he's going to be a junior this year at Cornell, he is uh, something exceptional, man. But right. um, 
Yeah, Marcus, I really appreciate the time, man. Thanks a lot. Love talking ball. And I was, you know, I just, I saw you on Cole Brennan's highlight tape, man. I was like, I got, I got to get this guy. So uh, luckily you <laughs> answered, good, man. man. Appreciate you having me. Yeah. Take care, Marcus. See ya. All right. You too. Bye-bye. All right. to the flow theory podcast you can listen to our podcast on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher spotify and tune in